You're listening to Up to the Mic. If you want to learn about the struggles and triumphs of starting a business, performing for sold-out arenas, or inspiring those you lead, Up to the Mic is the show for you. Throw on some headphones and get ready to listen as our host, Vinny Hale, sits down to showcase the stories of those who deserve their stories be told. From young entrepreneurs to critically acclaimed musicians and so much more, Vinny helps compile a season of interviews that inspire listeners to follow in the footsteps of his guest. All right, Vincenzo, thank you so much for making time today to be here. I can't wait for the listeners to hear this one. Really appreciate your time today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Well, before we jump into all it is that you're up to these days, if my listeners have heard me say it once, they've heard me say it a hundred times, I want to get back to the story of who you are as a person, how you got to be where you are. And so maybe give us a little bit of the background. What's your story? Where are you from? What was your time growing up and eventually evolving into who you are like? Yeah. Um, so I'm from, uh, I'm from New York. Um, uh, sort of born and raised in New York, always sort of, you know, lived there kind of between the city and, 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 and kind of newer shows upstate. Um, you know, went to school in Michigan and, you know, I never came from like an entrepreneurial family, so to speak, but I felt like I was always inspired to be an entrepreneur. Like when I was in, 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 in high school, like, you know, we saw people selling like, you know, candy bars for the sports team. And then basically we just started selling candy bars for ourselves, you know, and it's like stuff like that, that I think, especially coming from New York and or just the U S you learn that entrepreneurial spirit. And I've sort of always carried that type of upbringing with me to, you know, where I am today and, and the businesses I've started. That's cool. I got to ask because growing up, you know, I always traveled to New York as a vacation destination and it was always one that my mom would call the most wonderful, magical place in the world. She's been a hundred times and I always loved it. It was kind of like the dreams of the big city, like it is for many people. I'm curious being from New York and not living there anymore. Do you have a unique perspective on what it's like living in the city or do you kind of follow the same sentiment as others? You know, all right. So like, again, <laughs> I think New York is great because one, you really know how to be like a hustler. You know how to sort of talk to people, et cetera. Actually, two, you really understand the dynamics of dealing with different people, right? Like I'm Italian-American, but I grew up with, you know, other, you know, ethnic white people, Irish, whatever. You know, obviously I grew up with a bunch of like Latinos, you know, black people. And so basically we were able to really understand like how to deal with different subsets and, and, and whatnot. And I think culturally that helps a lot, you know. When I go back to New York now, you know, it's a different scenario where, like I said, I love growing up in New York for all that it gave me. Every time I go to the city now, I'm like, listen, I love to visit this place because, as you said, you can just do everything. You know, you have art, culture, food. But I'm not going to lie. I am so excited to leave. And I think that <laughs> for me, New York is 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 beautiful, but it's, it's an intensity. Like, you know, a lot of people go, they live in New York for a few years. And like, wow, this is too much. And I think for me, I love visiting, but I don't know if I could live there. It's just, it's too much right now. I mean, it's not just right now. It's too much in general with like the energy and the hustle bustle and, and also expensive, et cetera, that at this point in my life, I'm very happy not living in New York. Yeah. I'd actually, you know, we were kind of talking before the episode and nothing I say on my podcast is any representation of the firm I currently work for, but the firm I currently work for, I was actually recruiting with them in New York prior to COVID, it was going to start mm. off in New York. So I thought I'd want to go off to the big city, uh, live that dream. Just like so many others do have those delusions of grandeur. 
and COVID hit. It didn't work out. And thankfully I stayed where I am here in Texas. Uh, yeah. ended up going to Dallas. Love it now, but, uh, almost took a chance on it, but it still ended up back at the same firm. Um, nonetheless, a firm that you and I both worked at yeah. at least you in the past. So small yeah. little note there. Yeah. I knew. No, go ahead. no I was going to say, I was going to kind of jump into before you started your own business. I know you went to the university of Michigan and studied mm. accounting. Yeah. And I'm curious if accounting was something that you always had some sort of desire to study, if you had a passion for it, if you were always a numbers guy. And then further than that, did you always have some sort of ambition to go off and start your own business in the future? So, you know, sort of going to Michigan was also one of those transformational experiences because, again, as I knew, I grew up in New York and, and obviously I, I loved it, but I also knew that I needed to get out of New York because I felt that, you know, Again, you need that diversity, that other perspective. And I was like, you know, let me go to a, a school far away. So I went out to Michigan. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I just knew I wanted to do, do business. And so I, I got, you know, Michigan works. You, you go into sort of like the, the you know, liberal arts college for a few years. You apply and you get into like the business school. So upon applying to get into business school, you had to take some accounting courses like accounting one-on-one. It was like a super weeder course. They were really trying to like make it hard for people to apply. So they made a really tough accounting course for whatever reason. I was super strong on that course. And I don't even <laughs> say I loved accounting or anything like that, but I was really, really like other people were struggling and I was like, I just got this. And, um, and that's sort of when it, it dawned on me, you know, do I want to be an accountant? And, uh, you know, it wasn't until I had this, this, um, you know, sort of, uh, uh, an entrepreneur class and I had this professor that was a mentor to me and he said, Hey, listen, there's a master's program here to get a master's of accounting. And you know, you should, you should think about doing it, right? Because accounting is sort of the baseline for all business, you know, and, and, and it's very marketable skill. It's a good fallback, so on and so forth. So basically this teacher convinced me, you know, to go and, and get this master of accounting and that's, how I ended up going to, you know, PwC and, 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 and sort of getting in the accounting world. It wasn't like I had this sort of dream about being an accountant, although actually weird side note, when I was in fifth grade and, and they asked you what you want to be in when you grow up, you know what I put in my yearbook? An accountant. accountant. And you know why? The only reason why is because there was the nicest guy in my neighborhood or the guy who had the biggest car in my neighborhood was an accountant. And I remember asking one day to my father, like, dad, why don't you have a nice car like that guy? And he's like, that guy's an accountant. Like he makes money. And then I, you know, <laughs> years later I became an accountant. So it's random. Life is random, but that's the thing. I never thought I was going to be an accountant. It just sort of, it just sort of happened. Well, motivation comes in all ways. I can yeah. say from my experience, I don't know that I ever thought I was going to be an accountant either. And I know I've talked about my job a little bit in the past. I do a lot more of like the consulting realm now, but even so I still have the CPA and had yeah. that accounting background. Mm -hmm. And when I was growing up, I never in the slightest thought that I was going to go into a career in accounting and be a numbers guy. Yeah. I remember there was a class in junior high. That's how far back my mind remembers this stuff is that there was a class in junior high where they would kind of split off your junior high groupings into like an advanced math class for the smarter yeah. students and just kind of like a regular math class for, yeah. I guess, I don't know what we'll call them. Regular people. The regular, you know, students, yeah. you know, the not math whiz. Yeah. And I 
had a teacher pull me aside and was like, Hey, all of your friends are going to be in this like extra, you know, intelligent group of math right. wizards in this class. And you're going to be in the other one, unless you're able to like make a great grade in this class this year. Like she told me that prior to going into that determination period. And I was like, okay, well I got to figure this out. And I worked really hard. I made it in, you know, junior high yeah. out there on the grind, um, made it into the math class. And then even so in co or in high school and throughout college, was never a numbers guy to this day. Right. I tell people all the time, I'm really not great with numbers in the sense that, you know, I can't do quick math in my head. I've never been like great at percentages and calculations in my head, but I can read the language of business, which is exactly what accounting is the language of right. business. And so when people ask me, Oh my God, you must be so good at math. Actually, I'm not in the slightest accounting is math, subtraction, addition, multiplication or, uh, uh, division. Yeah. And, the rest of it is just knowing what the language of the business is, how to right, speak, how it applies, where exactly. certain things go. So yeah. I kind of derailed us there to tell a little side story, but um, it's funny how people find their way into accounting. It's uh, a lot of times misinterpreted, I think, and there's a lot that it encompasses. So right. it's nice to kind of clear it up a little bit. Yeah, I agree with that. And you know what? Accounting is one of those things, again, it's a good fallback and, and it's sort of, you know, two things. I think this is a general like comment. You know, when people are looking to start a businesses or trying to figure out what they want in the world, you know, because you never really know what you're going to do when you're in when you're in university or even really your first job. But you know what? Always kind of focus on if you're really really good at something, really try to pursue that. And then two, and I think this has carried me throughout my life, especially when it comes to business. Always trust your in, in, your intuition. You know, and, and, and for whatever reason that I had intuition, you know what? I was like, I'm just really good at this. And this guy, this professor's telling me that I should, I should do this. You know what? I'm going to do it. And it's helped a lot, like not just then, but even till now. Well, talk to me a little bit about time after college. So yeah. you meet this professor who serves a little bit of a mentor for you. You yeah. go the accounting route, you start at public accounting. What happens yeah. next? I know you weren't there um, for too terribly long. What was the next venture you, you embarked on? Yeah. So, you know, then I'm, I'm sort of in a, I'm in New York, um, you know, and I was working right, at, in public accounting and, you know, just working at my CPA. I didn't love it, but it wasn't, I, yeah, I mean, it was good. And, 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 but I knew that that was not my path. Right. Yeah. And, and actually I still had this sort of, you know, finance dream of, you know, everyone, I want to work in finance. And, and this is, you know, this is like around, you know, 2008, 2009, um, well, I should know before that, probably like a few years before, and everyone was going into finance because it was booming. And, and I got my dream job, uh, at this private equity firm, right? And it was, and I was, it was great. We, the boss had a jet. We're flying out at like his private jet. We're going to like these parties and we're doing like really interesting stuff. Um, you know, for the portfolio companies and, and so forth. But then, then there was the crash of 20, 2008, right? And then things sort of really, just stopped, uh, meaning like just what we were doing, we were trying to fundraise and this and that. And that is when I had this sort of moment where I was like, you know what, this, A, this job is not going to be going well. I wasn't getting fired or anything, but it wasn't what it was all cracked up to be. And then that's when a couple of my bosses left and, uh, and I decided to leave that dream job. Leaving the dream job. Yeah. I know that's honestly... I guess if you're a strict accountant auditor, I guess I'd say 
Yeah. I don't know that private equity is a typical exit path for you, but I know a lot of people who will go kind of the tax or the M&A route or even the consulting yeah. route and eventually end up at a private equity shop, um, have friends that are doing it to this day. So yeah, it's a, uh, it was a, um, you know why? Because I was in a really specialized group at PwC doing like valuation stuff yeah. and like some accounting due diligence. And so what they were trying to do when they were hiring, I thought it was actually pretty smart. They hired one, they hired and we had two analysts. It was like a banker uh, and then me. And I was sort of, he did like strictly finance. I was sort of finance and, and accounting due diligence. So they try to want to complement the skills. Um, so, you know, I was able to transition. It wasn't an easy transition, but you know, I think when there's a will, there's a way in a lot of times. And I was just, I was determined to get a finance job um, in banking or whatever it was. And this is what ultimately came my way. And, you know, and I took it. Well, shortly after that, you decided to go on and start your own company, right? That was kind of the next step for you is I'm going to go off and create a venture myself. Uh, what was that like? And did you immediately move out of New York when that yeah. happened? Or did you stay around in the States so for this a while? Thing. That's when the real story begins. So, <laughs> so I'm working at this private equity shop. Like I said, a couple of my bosses are leaving. The writing was on the wall. We weren't able to fundraise. So then, you know, one day I was like, I had this sort of moment. Like six months before, basically, I went down to Brazil and Argentina and I had the best time. And, you know, there I am. It's like one day and I was also with my coworker and we were all kind of like really honestly pissed off about a project and we both went you know what like this is not for us and we basically both decided on that day you know we're gonna quit and i don't know if it was just sort of again we had just gotten like yelled by the boss or what have you but we both had this sort of thing like yeah and then i was like you know what i was just in argentina a few months back i had the best time i've always wanted to live abroad like yolo and really, within a week, you know, me and him, he ended up working with like his family business. I just had no plan. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to move to Argentina. I had a friend that was living down there. And I messaged him. I said, hey, you know, what's it like? How much do I need to live in Argentina? Like, you know, what's the annual budget? Right. And he's like, listen, you know, it's super cheap. Argentina is a great place and there's economic problems. But, you know, he's like around $1,500 to $2,000 a month. And I was like, really? And so, and he said, and you know what? Actually, my roommate's leaving. A room is opening up. You know, it's like, it was $400 a month rent. He's like, so, but a lot of people want it. It's a good place. I was like, you know what? I'll get back to you. And literally within like 48 hours, I, I sent this guy a deposit, you know, to rent the room in his apartment in like, you know, whatever, great neighborhood, Palermo and, and Buenos Aires. And, you know, within like two weeks, basically I left New York. I left the job and I moved down to Argentina with no plan whatsoever, just because, again, it was one of those like YOLO, eat, pray, love, whatever you want to call it moments. And a lot of my thought was, hey, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I, as, a, as a side note, I was doing some tax consulting on the side. I was like, you know, I had a little side hustle. It wasn't a crazy thing. It was maybe earning, I don't know, maybe $5,000 a year or something, but it was something. Right. And I said, hey, you know, maybe I'll go back to New York and open up like a shop uh, like a, an H&R Block or Liberty Tax Shop. I was talking to like them as a franchisee or I had all these sort of random dreams of, you know, opening in a Latino neighborhood in Queens. And, you know, I was sort of, 
you know, I, like I said, at that point, I had this sort of entrepreneurial spirit. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I had it. Mm -hmm. But I moved down to Argentina with no problem, with no real plan. And, uh, you know, I get down there and I start taking Spanish courses and really just getting like immersed in the culture down there. I, I fell into a really cool expat group with my friend uh, who'd been living down there. And, you know, long story short, like, you know, a couple months into it, I was like, you know, I don't want to leave. You know, what am I, you know, am I going to really go back to New York and, 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 you know, go and, and start a store somewhere or, or am I just going to stay down here? And I remember having a, a conversation actually with that same mentor, that professor, as well as a good friend of mine, his mother, who's, who's like a you know, strong businesswoman and always sort of like a, an inspiration for me because I didn't come from any family of entrepreneurs. She was like a close entrepreneur, you know, family mm -hmm. friend, if you will. And both were like, listen, if you, you know, don't need to go back to New York and maybe you want to do what you've been sort of doing with like the tax side hustle, but, you know, work on it online. You know, why, why put yourself in a position where you're locked into a lease, you know, and so on and so forth. And, you know, why don't you try it? Right. And, and I'd always thought, listen, if I, you know, regardless of what happens when we move down to Argentina, I could always go back to New York and, and work at a big four, you know, do accounting. Like I always had this sort of backup plan. And that was a lot of the reason, you know, people always ask, well, why, you know, you're crazy to do that. And it's like, Yes and no, right? I mean, you know, I could have always gone back to New York and 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 and, and again gotten a job somewhere. But you know, taking that plunge sometimes is you know you never know what's going to happen. And you know, worst case, what happens? You 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 missed a winter time in New York, and you spent three six months in a an exotic place and created some new friendships and some new memories and so forth. So. You know, at that point, I just made this decision like three months in, like, I'm not going to go back to New York. I'm going to try to do this, you know, accounting thing online. Right. And so then from there, I, I fully I just fully, fully committed to it. Right. I started building like a website. I, you know, I came up with this random slogan, like online taxman, you know, dot com. Right. And, you know, I got the, the domain name. I started building this website and you know, tax season starts rolling around. I like launched the website and uh, I had no idea what I was doing, but I was just doing it. And I met this guy who was doing Google AdWords. And, you know, again, I'm living off of like my savings. And, I, you know, I had, I don't know, like a few hundred dollars that I could sort of allocate to Google AdWords. And so with the help of this local guy, he does like Google AdWords for me. And I, I'll always forget like that first, I had a whole elaborate website where you do like a survey and, you know, whatever. And that's how you sign up for a consultation and so forth. I'll always remember, I get this random email and it's some completely random, you know, person in Spain that, you know, wanted to sign up for like a consultation and gave their info, et cetera. And uh, I was like shocked. And I was like, who is this guy? And whatever. And I was like, you know, so I like, you know, get on the, like, you know, email him back. Like, yeah, you want to have a consultation today? You know, it was like free consultation. I get on the phone with him and, you know, start talking and, 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 and I just closed. And it was one of those things where I was like, wow, like I just randomly closed some dude who found me on the internet. And it was like there, I was like, wow, like this is gonna, you know, like, like, let me just do this. Right. And like, you know, that whole tax season, you know, again, I'm, 
I'm living off of savings. I still have some clients, but you know, basically every dollar that I didn't need for, you know, living, I just put into those Google AdWords and, and whatever I needed to, you know, to sort of keep the business going. And, and I did that for two years, right? You know, I lived in Argentina. I, you know, it's super dirt cheap there. And I would, everything I, I, I made, I would just spend into making the website better and Google AdWords. And really that's where it was like, like I said, I was like, man, like this thing could actually work. And, you know, and it did. I mean, that's what it comes down to it. It was like, it was a lot of hard work, but, you know, sometimes you take a chance and, and listen, there was a lot of follies. I mean, I try to build a custom website. Like, you know, that was a waste of money. Um, and we end up sort of going back to when I say custom, like the back end and the document yeah. upload system, all that stuff. Like we try to customize it. Then, you know, a year or two later, I end up, you know, going box.com and just all these like subscription based products, you know, so there was a lot of just follies within, within that, but that's part of the learning process. And when you know, at least you have a product or a service that, you know, works again, you just keep on getting better and you keep on pivoting or, 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 or trying to, you know, maximize, you know, what you're going to do and, and, and how you're going to, you're going to grow. I feel like a lot of the listeners that I have, have reached out or have responded to other interviews where it was a self-starter or a business owner themselves. And the most common hesitation that I'll see amongst them is the inability to take the leap from corporate world to starting your own business because, yeah. and it, it is essentially you're leaving the comfort and security of that full-time job that benefits the pay, yeah. et cetera, insert here. And then you're taking a leap of faith that your skill set is going to be able to generate enough income to live on and get back to where you were at some point. Yeah. So I'm curious, you know, what advice do you have for someone that might be wanting to take that jump, but not ready yet? And then, you know, how do you deal with, I mean, I feel like this is extremely prevalent with accountants specifically, but like the <laughs> imposter syndrome behind whether or not you're actually able to provide those services. So I know, you know, what I mean by that is, for instance, you had a tax, small tax consulting gig on the side you were working right. on. Yeah. Someone like um, in the consulting world, but has their CPA, for instance, like I'm putting myself in this box. Like, sure. I know accounting to, you know, I passed all the exams. I use it on a somewhat daily basis, but I'm not out there doing taxes or auditing work for a living. And so how would someone you know, leave their full-time job to perform some side, some action, you know, start their own CPA firms. Like, well, I'm not, I don't even do CPA work, you know? Right. So I guess, how do you overcome the imposter syndrome and how do you branch out into actually taking that leap of faith to start your own business? I think there's a, a couple, a couple points. I mean, one is, listen, if you think you have something, you know, try it as a side hustle, right? And, and, but like really give it your all, you know, meaning, you know, go out there, you know, go on Upwork or, 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 or try to, you know, go to some networking events or even, you know, even pay some money to go to a conference, you know, and talk to people and, and figure out, you know, if you could actually gain that work or even if you could, you know, let's say talk to a firm that you might want to be or, or somebody that you could partner with that could maybe refer you business and really go out there and try to like one, learn from others in the industry, how they started or, figure out if you could have some sort of symbiotic relationship or, you know, again, just put yourself out there. I mean, you know, cold emailing, you know, so forth, 
to try to, you know, see if that hustle is going to work, right? Because the first thing was, yeah, I did have a little side hustle. It wasn't big, but what did I learn from it? I learned that, you know, one, I had, yeah, like a little bit of income, but I learned that actually people were cool with doing their taxes online, right? Because I was in New York doing it and I had, I had friends and, 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 and friends of friends and whomever that also lived in New York. And I would do the tax returns and I never even saw them, right? Because in New York, everyone's busy. People are working a lot. Like, you know, they, they, they barely have time for themselves. So it's kind of like, okay, cool. You're in New York too if I need you, but I don't really need to see you. You know, here's my docs, um, et cetera. So, you know, it taught me, it, it, it gave me a little bit of proof of concept. I think side hustle does that. It also gives you sort of an understanding of how it works. Um, you know, and, and funny story with the online thing is when I was getting the, when I was, you know, looking at being a franchiser for Liberty Tax, I randomly met like the CEO of, 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 of Liberty Tax named John Hewitt, uh, because I went to one of these, you know, little conventions and got invited out to dinner and I'm sitting at the table and I, and I kind of told him my idea. I was like, yeah, you know, like I've been doing this tax stuff online and, um, and, and, you know, it's kind of been working for me. And he's like, no, you know, everyone wants to meet with their accountant. You know, that stuff will never work. It's all about, you know, personal touch. It's a, a sacred relationship, you know, private information, et cetera. And I just was like, you know, I want to be polite, but I just thought in my head, I was like, I just don't agree with this guy. You know, I mean, this guy's a <laughs> successful guy. He started Jackson Hewitt. He started Liberty Tax. I was like, whatever. And, you know, and I used that sort of like disagreement to power me to be like, no, like this, you know, I could do this. Right. And, you know, the second point on that thing is, again, if you take the leap of faith and it, it might not be for everybody, but you could think about it. You could always go back to where you were before, you know, maybe not the same exact job, but, you know, the same career or, or whatnot. And, you know, maybe there's a sacrifice there, but you will learn so much on the way and you will also never live with any regrets by not doing, you know, trying, right? And again, when it's a side hustle, it's great because you could try to learn from your mistakes and still have your sort of payroll. But even if you decide to maybe try that side hustle full time, you know, try it out and, and, and see what happens. You know, and, and yeah. And then my final point on that, and I think this is what ultimately helped me build my business is, you know, it's a big, it's a big world out there. You know, I started this whole thing pre COVID, but now post COVID, you know, people live and work from wherever. And, you know, I will say that I was never able to start my business if I was still living in New York, right? I couldn't, you know, because I just, those first couple of years, I, I wasn't making enough money to sustain myself in New York. But, you know, living in a place like Argentina, where I was able to pump, you know, save money and just pump all my money into the business and live on, you know, 1500 or 2000 a month, you know, it's worthwhile, right? And, and, and it doesn't have to be Argentina. I mean, you could go live in Mexico City. You could live in South America. You could live in Southeast Asia. You could leave and leave live in cheap parts of Europe. And... And, and live for that amount. And not only will you save on cost of living, you also save actually on taxes, right? You get out of like your potential state tax, you know, you get out of actually paying partial federal tax. Um, so you're saving on cost of living, you're saving on taxes by potentially moving abroad. And, you know, I think that being able to do that was monumental in my business as far as, again, 
being able to pump it into the business and ultimately pump it into, you know, hiring employees, hiring staff, hiring the development team, because I didn't have to worry about, you know, spending, you know, 5,000 a month or 7,000 a month when I was only being able to live off of, you know, under 2,000 a month. Well, you mentioned it there about how there's a lot of tax savings for people living abroad or U.S. people living abroad. You've actually got a book called U.S. Taxes for Americans Abroad. Talk to me about the, I guess, conception of the book and also like what you share, some some insights from the book that you think are valuable to people that are living. I know you mentioned the um, determinant of the estate tax, but what else is out there for people that yeah. might be living abroad? So long story short, by – you know, moving outside of the United States, you know, if you live in a high tax state like, like New York or whatever, you know, you live, you leave New York, you don't have to pay the U.S., uh, sorry, the New York state tax. But then if you take up a residency in another country, right? Like you go to Mexico, you become a, a resident, you get an ID card, you get a bank account, um, so on and so forth. You know, you could qualify for something called the foreign earned income exclusion, right? Um, and what that means is basically you get the first, Roughly $120,000 tax free, right? So you have to pay zero income tax on that. You potentially might have to pay like uh, social security and, and, and Medicare tax, but at least your income tax by, you know, being a resident of another country or only being in the United States for 35 days or less in a year. So really kind of committing to living, you know, most of the year outside the United States. It's sort of either or in those two scenarios. But let's say again, moving outside the U.S. You get to, you know, essentially up to 120K, potentially live completely tax free. And so again, that's a great advantage for people that are living, that wanting to you know, move abroad or sort of be a digital nomad or, or, or what have you. Um, or just, you know, again, be a startup person or try freelance or, or, or what have you. Again, that's a great tax advantage along with the, the cost of living. Tell me a little bit about what it's like living over there and performing all the work for taxes. I know, you know, there's typically a tax season that we see yeah. as accountants that is very, you know, heavy, the busy season. Is it similar for you to have like a one type of busy season? Or are you consulting with clients on a pretty much consistent basis throughout the year? I guess more so I could phrase the question as what's a, a week in the life look like for you owning your business and running it from abroad? Yeah. Um, you know, so I mean, to your point that, that, that week, uh, you know, that largely varies, right? So just to sort of also just come full circle on the story after a few years of, of, of doing this by myself and hustling, you know, and, and, and putting money back in the business, I had a good friend of mine from University of Michigan and, you know, funny enough, he was, he was working in Chicago and, 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 and he was also not happy with his job. And it was like a January. And I'm like, hey, you know, I'm in Buenos Aires. It's like at the pool, like working, <laughs> you know. And and he and he's like, you know what? I was like, John, come and join me. Like, it's great out here. Like, you're miserable in Chicago in the cold winter. And this guy came down and joined me. And, you know, he's my business partner today. And he helped me build my business. And, you know, then we hired employees and, and so forth. And so now... You know, me and him run the business with, we have about right now a staff at 35. And so to your point, you know, it is high season and low season, right? And so we have deadlines, April 15th, there's a June 15th expat deadline. Uh, there's a, 
a, an October 15th deadline and a September 15th deadline. So, you know, there, it's, it's seasonal, which is a good and a bad thing. I mean, one, I, I like, I don't mind working. And so I like to, you know, have the deadline to push me against. Um, and then in the off season, it's a little more relaxed. Um, however, when you have employees, um, you're always sort of managing something, right? And, and we have, you know, consistent weekly team meetings and I have one-on-ones with some of my employees. And, and so, you know, it's never a complete shut off. I mean, I'll, there'll be a few weeks a year where I, I will actually shut off. I'll go to Burning Man for a week or I'll do boat trip for a week, but I'm always having to manage employees. And actually, you know, there's that time when I was kind of a solo person where I, I would, you know, tax season was over and I would just completely shut off. Um, you know, and, and that's sort of the good with the bad. Now I've, I've come a lot, long, you know, a lot farther having employees, but, you know, managing people is, is a different beast. It's actually candidly not for everybody. You know, and sometimes people are just kind of better being their own little contractor, managing their stuff. But, you know, again, for me, you know, depending on the season, we're either doing a lot of tax work. And if it's in the off season, we're doing a lot of internal developments, you know, um, you know, initiatives like, you know, we rolled out a bookkeeping, um, you know, division last year and we're rolling out like a crypto reconciliation division. And, and so there's always kind of projects, even within the off season. You know SOPs and 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 you know recruiting people and and business development stuff that I'm always working on, even when it's not tax season. Well, you mentioned something in there that I want to go back to. Yeah. Um, the first of which, or I guess two things. The first of which being managing people is just not for everybody. What is it that maybe makes a good leader or, or a good manager of people? And then the second thing is once we talk about that, I want to jump to crypto and learn a little more yeah. about what your firm does for crypto. Uh, you said crypto reconciliations, maybe yeah. give uh, a little brief synopsis of what that means for the listeners. Yeah. So let's talk about leadership. Cause I think this is a great topic and I've read so many books on this. And first off, you know, one thing when you, when you want to be a business, you know, when you want to be a leader, you want to be a, a, an entrepreneur, um, you know, reading is so key. And I never, I stopped reading for years. Then I, when I really started coming and doing business, I was like, okay, reading's great. And actually one inspirational book when I just started and it was very random was I read, uh, the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. And that was always one of those books that really sort of got me thinking about, Hey, this is what I could do with, with, with my business when I first started. But, you know, reading is, is so fundamental. Um, but when it comes to being a leader, you know, you really have to listen. You know, it is such an important skill to to understand and be patient with people. Um, and 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 you know, and I'll give you an example. You know, when I ask my team, you know, if I'm thinking through something, and I might have already had my mind made up about the business decision I'm going to make, but I'll ask, you know, my management team, and I'll ask my business partner, and basically, I will always ask what people think first before giving my opinion, right? Because first off, if you give your opinion, then everyone's going to sort of suck up to your opinion or be their, you know, their opinion is going to be a reflection of your opinion. But if you ask people first, then you get their, their, their honest, um, you know, sort of feedback. And so I think it's important to sort of, you know, be a listener and, you know, really, um, understand what people are trying to say and, and, and kind of read them. And again, that also comes back to like, you know, intuition and, and also really trying to feel for, um, 
you know, your team and, and, and what they want and, and trying to really align uh, your values and interests and, 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 and just create a win-win situation. Um, God. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I love that because it really reminds me of the flip side of a coin that I had heard or a phrase that I had heard in college. So when I was in college, I was uh, the president of a men's organization for a year. And during that time, I remember the prior president telling me, Hey, when you're going throughout this year, remember that you're going to be sitting in the meetings. And most of the time, even though these are your best friends that you're talking to, they're going to be looking for you to provide the advice. And as part of that, he said, you need to remember to always speak last. So exactly to the Testament yeah. that you just mentioned, mm -hmm. pose the question, let the people tell you their opinions, because mm -hmm. if you go out and just by default, they're going to agree with your opinion. They might, they might not, but most of the time they'll kind of by default agree to what you're saying because of the position or the title that you may hold at the table. The flip side of that is in addition to speaking last, be available. And so one thing that I told um, my team then and my teams now here um, that I work with is when you reach out to me, I'm going to respond very quickly. And I am really bad about sometimes when I am on my phone, I'll see a text message come through and I'll look at the text and I'll set it down and I'll say, oh, I'll respond to that later. Or somebody will call and I'll deny it and then I'll call them back later. And half the time I do respond and half the time I don't. And that's not great. Now, it's not a great percentage there. And so I've started to actively think about, okay, I need to respond and be available for these people that want to get in touch with me. And so when I see a text come through, I consciously make the decision, like I'm going to text back right now. Um, or if I'm really not available, the first time I'm available, I'll sit down and I'll type out my response to them. And so it's kind of the flip of, I want to be available or I want to be allowing the other people to be heard, but I also want to be there for my input when it's needed. And so I really, really appreciate, you know, you bringing up that because it reminds me of that great nugget of information that people can use as they move forward. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think it's, it's, you know, it's a good point. I mean, it's, it's about being available and it also about sort of making like, not that you have to make quick decisions, but, you know, stick to decision, you know, don't dilly dally because people look to you, you know what I mean? And, and if you're yeah. not like, you're like, oh, I don't know. It's, it's not weakness, but it's more about like, you know, What's going on? Like, you just need to make the decision, you know, make the quick decision, so to speak, at least after you think about it, you have to make it on the spot, but like, don't dilly dally with the decision either. Yeah. Right. Um, and, 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 and also actually one of my biggest things is recruiting people and being and, and recruiting the right person. You know, for us, it's people that are collaborative, you know, people that, yeah, you know, uh, represent the culture that we are. Right. Because the other thing is, you know, as a leader, especially in a small organization, you are the culture, right? And so people will follow your lead and you need to lead by example, right? So if you're, you know, like a, just an attack scenario, if you're going to, you know, let a client do the right, th do the wrong thing and they want to cheat on their taxes, people got to watch that. And then you're going to create a culture of, of dishonesty, you know, so lead by example. And, you know, when it comes to collaboration, again, and listening you know, do your prior question, you know, I, I asked, you know, I, I, I mean, I feel like I'm in the trenches. I still review returns. I still talk to clients, et cetera. But I, you know, I asked the people, especially the people I do one-on-ones with and the people I don't even do one-on-ones with, but maybe I talk to them randomly about a client, you know, how you doing, what's going on? Like, how's the tax season going for you? And I try to figure out like, again, what are the gaps and what's up? 
And, 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 and that's how we started the crypto practice. You know, I was talking to one guy and he's like, Oh, you know, it's crypto. It's complicated. And, you know, multiple people like, Oh, this is a mess. And then one of the guys on, on our team loved crypto, right? He's just, you know, as an investor, right? And I was like, Hey, you know, do you want to, you know, do you want to work at be our like crypto reconciliation guy? Right. And so what that means is, you know, you have sort of like centralized finance, like Coinbase and Binance, and then you have decentralized, sort of like off the chain. People are trading, et cetera. But, you know, if you're a U.S. citizen or tax resident, you have to report all those transactions. You have to report the capital gain, capital loss, and if you're you know, receiving uh, income from crypto, et cetera. So the point is, is that, you know, we saw a gap, you know, several people identified it about, you know, people coming in with these super messy capital gain you know, profit loss statements. Because again, they, it's, they're not on centralized exchanges, it's decentralized. And so, you know, we created a practice to help, you know, traders, investors, even, you know, funds, even other accountants to help reconcile crypto, right? And, 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 and basically come up with, you know, uh, yeah, the, the correct, uh, you know, schedule of capital gains and losses so people can report them on their US tax returns. And even now we're, we're doing it for other countries. Um, and so, you know, it, I was not in the crypto, I mean, I, I support crypto, but I wouldn't say I was in the trenches on that until I just listened to people and, you know, and then identified somebody, you know, and again, it's another leadership thing, you know, trying to identify people and give them the opportunity, you know, and, and, and see what they do and, and obviously try to help them. But, you know, really sort of, you know, even, you know, almost to the point of pushing somebody into saying, hey, you know what, maybe it's like, a little bit too big shoes to fill at times, but, you know, people generally, you know, survive that and, and, and take advantage of those opportunities if they're given. <clears throat> no, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think being able to, I guess, delegates the term, but even more so than just giving people mm -hmm. and assigning people work, allowing them to grow into a role, Yeah, maybe <laughs> stepping back a little bit. I know I am sometimes a, a you know, proponent for being a little bit of a micromanager. And so I think to myself, I need to step back and allow people yeah. to operate on their own. Cause I know I don't like that from the pressure from exactly. my managers, et cetera. So, you know, yeah. it's a give and a take game there, but man, I've really enjoyed our conversation. I want to ask, you know, as we kind of finish up here, out of all the things we've talked about, the transitions you've made uh, to a foreign country, your time in New York at Michigan, all about the accounting world, the leadership tactics that you've preached to us, What's next? What are what is the goal for next year? For the next five, ten years? What are you looking forward to in the future? Um so you know, fast forward. I mean, now I live in Brazil. I'll continue to 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 live in South America and you know, now I'm in Rio de Janeiro. But you know, for me, I mean we're gonna keep on growing the company, right? You know, we're at a point where we're actually, you know, growing we've we've grown a team enough that I'm you know, trying to, you know, put people on, meaning, you know, give people a partnership, a, a, a path to partnership. Um, and, you know, I'll continue to sort of, you know, build the company and, 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 and do what I want to do. But, you know, I think there's always a natural time that, um, you know, you might want to uh, transition away. And that's something that I've actually been thinking about a lot lately. Um, now is definitely not the time and it's not going to be for, you know, you know, several years, but, you know, if you're looking at like five, 10, 15, 20 years, like I'll certainly transition off. And I think a lot of it has to do with, this is not my, uh, my end game, right. And my end game, 
Um, and I think everyone should be thinking about this just generally, you know, is w what they want to do next. Some people are like all about the exit. I'm not particularly about that, but there's a, a goal uh, that I want to do, which is to start a nonprofit. And so my, you know, next step in life is to, is to start a nonprofit. And I've sort of had, you know, several ideas as far as what is the cause or who I want to help, et cetera. Um, but, you know, at some point I'll, I'll sort of transition to that and, 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 you know, go into the more nonprofit and giving back work. Um, but until then it's, yeah, you know, training my team, you know, we have a management in place and, and kind of getting people ready for, for an ultimate, you know, me and my business partner for that, some sort of like changing the guard. Right. And, 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 and I think, you know, again, that's another thing that people need to think about. It's like I said, just like, what a successor is, or, I mean, some people are looking for an exit, but yeah, like kind of thinking, thinking into advance and, and, and what you want to do. Cause that's at least, you know, what I'm, where I'm at. Yeah. I think one great piece of information that you gave there is figuring out what your end game is. What's the goal? What are you striving for? What's the exactly end goal that you want to accomplish in the long run and then figuring out the steps that it'll take to get there to move you in that direction. I heard a long time yeah. ago a quote that I, I'm a huge quote guy. I know I've said it before, but um, direction is more important than speed. So figure mm -hmm. out where you're going. And then eventually, as long as you take the right steps, even if they're smaller or not as quick as you'd like them to be, they'll be headed in the right direction. So yeah, I thought that was good, but like Vincenzo, it's been great. I really appreciate yeah. it. Thank you so much for the time. I, uh, I'm glad you were able to hop on and uh, appreciate you being flexible with time. But uh, thanks so much no, for being here. Great. Thank you. But hey, before we log off uh, and in the interview, I just want to ask where can people find out more about you? If they want to find out more about your book or your business or you as a person, where would you point people to find out? Yeah, of course. So the website is onlinetaxman.com. Uh, on that website, um, you know, people that actually have questions about their tax situation could get a consultation. Uh, I have another website, uh, globalexpatadvisors2.com. But, you know, if you want to look at the book, um, you could go to the website or you go on Amazon. Um, it's available on Kindle and print, et cetera. Um, yeah, if you need taxes done, onlinetaxman.com. We also have a bunch of uh, really good YouTube videos, actually, on like tax savings. And they're like nice. They're like, you know, two to five minutes and you know, some really good tips there. And, um, yeah, listen, you know, if anyone has a question, you know, feel free to reach out, um, at onlinetaxman.com or just, you know, I'll even get my email, Vincenzo at online taxman. Awesome. Well then we will, uh, share the websites and information to your book in the show notes or in the description here in the show notes. So really appreciate it again. Uh, but hope you have a great rest of your day. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I'm like an addict, ooh, I gotta have it I ain't even playing, got a really bad habit If it moves, gotta grab it Fuse like a magnet, lose, won't have it Till I'm doomed in a cap